Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no hold-ups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those hold-ups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. So my guest today, and thank you so much for your time, is, um, oh my gosh, when you say this podcast is compelling stories from passionate people, this is... Uh, a real-life adventurer, but also a personal adventurer. Her name is Sequoia Schmidt or Sequoia D'Angelo. We'll talk about that. And uh, and I met her here in Hollywood, and I'm just, I think I'm just going to let your story unfold for us. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so good to <laughs> see you. you. Can I say, we're sitting in your apartment in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and you are surrounded by kit. There are, uh, there's a, a helmet that you'd wear for climbing, backpacks and boots, and oh, are, you, are you going somewhere? I'm going somewhere, yeah. Unfortunately, like, um, my, my life right now consists of me being in town for three or four days at a time, and when I'm here, I'm usually trading out gear. Um, and I'm going on an expedition, so around my living room right now is climbing boots and things like that. I'm going up to the, to the Cascades. Right, where's that? The Cascades is on the border of um, Canada and Washington. Okay. And there's a mountain there called Mount Baker, so we'll, right. I'll do some, some work on that. And I did Mount Baker originally um, th- this last year during, uh, during the, the summertime, and now I'm going back in the winter. So. Okay. What does trading out gear mean? Oh, just kind of like, so I came from, I was on um, a business trip to Houston. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, and after that I stopped through Colorado. But primarily my suitcase had um, cocktail dresses and business suits in it. And so now I'm trading it out. What this, I was, I, I must admit, um, since we've become friends on Facebook, I, I look back over the last six months and, and it's a really different Facebook page. Because there's a picture of you hanging off a rock face in a swimsuit, um, dangling over water. Thailand. Thailand. And then there's you 
ice climbing in Colorado. Yeah, that was Europe. Okay. Then there's you in Yosemite National Park for a photo shoot. Mm -hmm. Then there's you in Houston in a cocktail dress. Mm -hmm launching your Denali Foundation um, fundraiser gala, which we'll be talking about. Then there's you in an evening gown. Yeah, so my life is especially lately. It's always kind of been um, a, a juxtaposition, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, but especially lately, it's been, um, yeah, very contrasting worlds. Okay. <laughs> it's great because I get the best of both worlds. For listeners who are detecting that uh, Sequoia is not quite American, um, she isn't. You were born in New Zealand? I was born in New Zealand. Uh, so I grew when people ask me where I grew up, it's New Zealand, essentially. Um, I did live in Italy for a while. I lived in um, actually quite a few places, 15 different places, before I was uh, 14 years old. Okay. Um, but the, the accent comes out, and I lived in Australia for a little bit too, so the accent comes out. There's a couple words that are Australia, a couple words that are New Zealand, mm. couple, most words that are American, um, so it kind of fluctuates quite a bit. What, what led you to move so much before you were 14? Well, I wasn't in charge of where we're moving to at that Yeah, point. of course. Uh, we moved quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I think the easiest way to say it is my parents were, in a way, as nomadic as I am. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the easiest way. Dad was a mountain climber. Dad was a mountain guide, yep. Um, and that's what he did for a full-time living, yeah. which is, now that I'm kind of getting into mountaineering a little bit, it's, it's, um, it, it's making a little more sense, right? Because... Uh, most people climb for a passion and those who climb especially alpine um, they, they have to be very wealthy <laughs> because it's not a cheap sport it's incredibly expensive to go alpine climb first of all you have to take you know if you're doing Everest you have to take six weeks out of your life where you're just climbing uh, most people have to take that time off work and then you know it's sixty to a hundred thousand dollars it's not it's wow. not cheap I mean yeah I mean Everest isn't my style but um, or I'm not you know I'm not at that point but but it's definitely, um, yeah, it's a whole other world. So my dad had an amazing passion for climbing, but it wasn't something that he uh, he did um, just as a passion. He would, he also did it as a career. Right. That's how he made money. He guided people, and he liked that relationship of kind of cultivating um, this long-term relationship with a client where they start doing, you know, <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Right. They start doing climbs in Ecuador. They they start with treks and they they build their way up to the Himalayan climbs, um, and the Denali's and the, the, the Everest's or whatever it may be. Uh, and it's this long term relationship that happens between him and a client who really believes on one on one -on guiding, learning everything there is to know about his client, the eating habits. I mean, everything down to, like, bowel movements, right? Right. Because those are really important when you're at high altitude to know exactly who you're with and how your body's going to handle it. So. Particularly as there is a shot of you on Facebook pooping into a bag. Because <laughs> this, is, this is how we do it when we're on the mountain. <laughs> that right? so much controversy. In, um, like, so the, earlier you were mentioning a gala that we're launching. Um, and every year we have an annual gala for a foundation that I started um, and uh, so, you know, Houston High Society is very prominent in that gala. And it's some amazing, eclectic, interesting people, right? And um, I don't think they've ever seen a woman creeping into a bag before. Well, like, so. duh. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so, you were making a statement. It was an I important was, environmental was, statement. And oh, yeah. That's something that's been incredibly important to me, right? Because I'm exploring all these beautiful places in the world that are slowly deteriorating. So not just exploring, but adventuring into these places where humans leave their marks, and their marks are left. You, you excuse my language, take a dump on a mountain... First of all, you're at altitude and it's it's cold, so it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna break down. It's not gonna biodegrade. It's not gonna break down. So it's sitting there on a glacier. Human feces are sitting there on a glacier. So the, the point I was trying to make with the picture of me taking <laughs> taking a shit into a bag was that um, you know it's important to clean up whatever whatever we bring onto the mountain. We should bring off of the mountain. Mm. We should take care of this beautiful planet that we have. Yeah. Um, let's go back a little bit because we've covered... I want to talk about the Denali Foundation, which is named after your brother. But let's go back to you, pre-14, moving around a heck of a lot. Dad is a mountain guide. And you... What, do you run away from home or do you just decide that's it, you're leaving? Or how did that, all of that come about? Because you moved to Australia when you were quite young on your own. I did, yes. Um, well, I think our parents raised us in, ver- in a very independent way, right? We always... Uh, we were spoken to like adults from a very early age, um, and you know some some people don't necessarily agree with that. I, uh, for me personally, it worked out great um, because it allowed me to think in very independently, and it allowed me to think as an adult, um, which has come in very handy in other aspects of my life. But uh, yeah, essentially, I I looked up an acting school in Australia and found a place to stay and said, okay, I'm going to move up to Australia. I pursued acting school when I was 14. Mm-hmm. That lasted the year. Uh, and then I, uh, long story short, I wound up in, in Houston living with my grandfather for a year before graduating high school and starting my company in Houston. But what, what is the company? It's called D'Angelo Publications. Mm-hmm. The first company I started was called HY Magazine. And it was a single magazine that concentrated on... Um, actually have a copy here but um, it concentrated on essentially um, educating the youth uh, and mixing in some fun fashion and Mm. stuff like that it was a local magazine so you were motivated from a very young age to make money and to find something that was going to sustain you as as an individual as an independent woman yeah I mean that's that's sure I mean we're all in a way motivated to make money I think I was just motivated to create things I mean, I think that's kind of like a good way to define it, whether it's, and now that's kind of parlayed into my adult life, right? So in the beginning, it was creating a magazine, creating a company, um, creating a project. Now it's creating expeditions and going on these climbs or creating a foundation. There's some kind of creation, and that's like the line that ties it all together, right, is, is a form of creation. And I've always just been inspired and compelled to create whatever it may be. Mm. Do you have, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the notion of mentor versus manager. So a lot of people in the entertainment industry, which as you know I'm in, um, they're desperate for management. They want somebody who's going to introduce them to people and put them into a circle of people who can make things happen. Whereas a mentor doesn't do that. A mentor is more about behaviour around stuff to increase your skills, right? 
So have you had mentors and managers around you that, that you couldn't have done it without? I don't think that, um, I don't think anybody in life could do life without someone around them, right? Uh, there have been incredibly important people in my life who have um, been mentors to me, been acted as managers to me, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not particularly shy, so it's not hard for me to network in a room uh, on that, that side of management, I guess. But what, I, what I've learned to value, and I didn't learn this in the beginning, and this, this took a lot of mistakes and a lot of money and a lot of company failures before I learned this. But it is so important to surround yourself with people smarter than you. And more important than that is to listen to them. And I knew how to surround myself with people who were a lot smarter than me. But I never knew how to listen because I was, I was, you know, I was young. And I have a company. And I um, too conceited for my own good. And, uh, and it took a lot of mistakes and it took a lot of failures. But I finally learned to listen. And, mm. and that's helped a lot. One of the things I was really keen not to do with this interview is to herald that whole, she's young and she's gorgeous and she's clever because I think you are uniquely you and I think you will be spectacular at whatever age you're at and how sad it is for somebody who's 40 or 50 or 60 to, to just be just clever you know, and then you hit 70 and 80 and then you become, she's old and yeah. she's clever and she's like, I just, I, I, I think yes. it's defining, it's categorizing, it's, it's doing all of that. So I didn't want to fall into that. But you have raised, so there's the Schmidt, that was your father's name. Yes. D'Angelo is your publishing name. Yeah, so it's complicated, right? And I did, I did an interview with, um, with a magazine the other day and, and it was really, it was, I got to speak to the, the reporter about it where, where it was kind of making sense to me because that hasn't made sense to me for a while. When I left home, I was Sequoia Schmidt. That's how I was born. That's how I was raised. That's my father's name. When I started my company, I wanted to do something on my own. I wanted to, to create my own name. I wanted to define myself uh, away from my family. Um, and so I created D'Angelo. And Everything I have done since then has been under Sequoia D'Angelo, right? So uh, everything I did in my life from the day when I, when I left home at 15 to the day um, that, that my book was published, really, was under D'Angelo. Uh, and then when my book was coming out, um, because, it, because it's a, a story of essentially a father-daughter relationship, it's a story of loss, a story of grief, um, I felt like it was appropriate to use Sequoia and it was returning me to the core of who I am and, and with that Sequoia has slowly kind of crept its way back into my life to the point where my mailbox on my apartment says Sequoia now so, <laughs> so it's you know it's this transition that's kind of happening and mm -hmm. Um, Which is the nature of us. Right. Like, right. it's such a myth that we ever get there. Because yeah. there is no there. There's no there. You're just right? searching for the sake of yeah. the search. Like, yeah. That so let's... let's important to, for, me, for me, like, that's, that's the most important thing. As long as we're growing and we're developing, 
Even if it's crazy having two names. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, you know, it's like, you know who you are, you just don't know what to call it. Because, you see, it's even like, you know, you meet people nowadays, and it used to be people had quite clear job descriptions. They're a teacher, doctor, lawyer, plumber, librarian. These were, and we knew what this was. Now, there are jobs that, that have no titles. There are titles that we don't understand. I mean, I'm getting all esoteric, but you know what I mean. Like, it's become less important to know, it's more important to know what it is than what we're going to call it mm-hmm. now. No, and that's, that's so interesting that you say that, because, yeah, I mean, the society 20 years ago was, was easily categorized and easily put in this box of who you were, right? Mm. Uh, but definitely not nowadays. And, and I find it, it funny because when people ask me, what do you do? Mm. I kind of sit there for a minute and I'm like, sometimes I'll shape my answer depending on who I'm speaking to. But for the most part, it's just like, oh, that's a great question. Cause, yes. Because you can't really define what, what I do. I do mm. a lot of things. You do that. And that's a mountain climber, publisher, adventurer, um, philanthropist, or all of that, all of that. It's um, and and the other thing I remember, I was on radio in Sydney many years ago. Uh, gosh, how long ago? Twenty years, and um, and there was always a lot on right right wing radio, and it was right wing radio, saying. Um, Oh, the children of today, you know, they, 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 and we're still doing it. They don't do this and they don't do that and they don't do the other. Anyway, this year 11 teenager rang me, and I'm telling you this because you're 27? 26. 26. 26. Right. So, um, so she rang and she said, I'm really sick of people like you having a go at people like me. I listen to my parents. I do my homework. My friends and I don't stay out all night. We're not all pregnant. We're not like, There was this grouping together. Anyway, more recently, there's been something doing the rounds of social media of this guy. He's a former advertising executive, and he self-published a book on leadership. But he's interviewed talking about millennials. And and they look at their devices all the time, and they have no concentration, and you can't manage them, and, 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 and. And I... I just got so angry about it that I was countering it every time somebody of my age in my 50s, or in Hollywood terms, in my 40s, but whereas somebody of my age would go, oh, yes, that's quite right. You know, the children of today, and they're always with their face in a device, and they can't talk to each other, and, oh, they'll never have a love letter. All of that stuff, and I was just like, stop it. You don't know all of them, so you can't talk to all of them. And when I say talk to, I mean about them to create this this notion Um, because the thing I don't know how many 26 year old women there are out there in the universe doing extraordinary things and so we have to treat all of you as individuals do you see what I mean no very much so I agree and there are there are quite a few women in their their 20s and their 30s mm. and their teens doing incredible things. But you, you're you a millennial. Are you classified as millennial? No, no, no. That's a great question. When I hear millennial, I always think of myself. So Okay. Because it must make you really mad when you hear people say things like that. Because it's like, don't you get it? No, because people stereotype every, all the day. Uh, every day, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it, that's... It, yeah, I, I get what you're. I completely get what you're saying. It is incredibly frustrating. Um, it's just my it. personal rant. It's, <laughs> I just, I, I just hate that. I think it's just anyway. Hello, Ella. Yeah.
Hey you, with a rhinestone dog collar. Between us dogs, I just convinced my human to upgrade to a new home with a 1,200 square foot bathroom. I think she called it a yard. With Wells Fargo's 3% down mortgage option, my human realized a new home was within reach. And I only gave her puppy eyes once. Get your human to talk to a mortgage consultant or learn more at wellsfargo.com slash woof. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. Down payments as low as 3% on a fixed rate loan require mortgage insurance. Ask a home mortgage consultant about loan requirements. Wells Fargo Home Mortgage is a division of Wells Fargo Bank N.A. Equal housing lender. NMLS R.I.D. 399801. So let's talk about your book, Journey of the Heart. Journey of Heart. Okay. Yeah, it's Journey of Heart, and then the subtitle is A Sojourn to K2. So you were 24 in Houston, publishing business? I was 24, yeah. I was splitting time between Houston and LA. Um, I had my publishing firm. Uh, and... Um, I think I think I think before we we start on this story, I think it's very important for the listeners to kind of understand the context to to where we're going. Uh, at the age of 22, I was living in Houston um, full time. I had my publishing firm. I was building my business. Um, I had developed a relation, a, a very close relationship with my my brother. Um, we drifted apart for a few years, but we developed a relationship again. I had not really reconnected with my father after I left home. Uh, and they were both on a climb on a mountain called K2. And I got a phone call that they had been killed in an avalanche. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it really shook, shook my world. And my life has never been the same since then. Um, in 2015, two years later, I was splitting time between Los Angeles and Houston in an attempt to kind of network in L.A. Uh, to eventually do a movie about the life of my father. Um, and, and I was watching a, a Facebook video while I was, I was on a stopover in San Francisco for an art exhibit with my garage artwork. And there was a um, there was a Facebook video that I was looking at from another climber who was on K2 two years, obviously, after my father and brother died. And part of the Facebook video, there was a, a head that was shown. Because the remains were on a glacier, they were frozen. It wasn't, it could be two years, it could be ten years, the body parts were going to stay the same. And I instantly thought... Jesus, that looks like my brother. Um, and I was I was issued an emergency visa to Pakistan. And within a week, I was on a plane by myself to travel through the red zone of Pakistan uh, and do a 17-day trek into the mountain K2 to collect the body parts for sampling and to bury them because I had found out they they were just left there by all the climbers on the glacier. Nobody buried them. I tried to find out who they were. So my my book is that journey. It's really um, a diary of that of that emotional journey that I went on. And physical journey. I wasn't in shape to do a 
the 17-day trek into 19,000 feet. I've never done anything like that before, except for when I was really young with my dad, and it was things like climbing Mount Whitney. It wasn't something in the middle of Pakistan. I'd been in business. My body was in shape. Um, so it was, a, it was a physical shock. It was an emotional shock. It was a journey of, of grief and also a journey of what it's like to be a woman traveling alone through the country of Pakistan. I'm sorry to bring that up for you, but I, it's just such a part of your story because it leads into the foundation, the Denali Foundation, which was named after your brother because of his beautiful art and photography. And now the foundation is building, hoping to build a school in, um, is it Nepal? It's in Nepal, it's in the Kumbu region. It's, um, it's actually not a school, it's an educational and artistic facility. Okay. And um, it takes some of the things that, that I'm passionate about, environmental effects, um, using recycled materials from the Kumbu region and from uh, mountains like Everest that are left behind by climbers. Um, it recycles them into artistic creations. And then it also uses uh, some of the, the main concentrations of the foundation, which is... Um, artistic expression and artistic education for youth. So there will be a section of the facility that uh, kind of feeds the local schools uh, on art. Uh, and the primary thing that the foundation does actually is send out art supplies to schools in the United States. And so the, the building of the facility in Nepal happened after last year's gala. There was an earthquake right before the gala and we we're thinking of a concentration of the funds for last year's gala. And um, so we decided to build in Nepal. But on an annual basis, the foundation sends out art supplies to schools in the United States who have their funding cut for art and music. And art is such, an, such a vital part of development. Being able to have a child express themselves artistically is so important. Do you paint or draw or write? Or, well, obviously you write, but I write. Okay. Um, my brother was my brother was the painter. Okay. My brother was the um, the visual artist. Mm. He saw art in everything in life. Um, I wrote about it. Okay. I have a guilty pleasure. I have an addiction for um, uh, Greenland jigsaw puzzles on my iPad. <laughs> so, I know. I know. It's like some people smoke marijuana. I just, this is my thing. And I just kind of get a buzz out of picking out which bits of ice to join with the other bits of ice, right? That's just crazy. But it's how I roll. And it's very important. There's a guy called Mikhail Cheek sent me high. And it's quite a name, right? I could spell it for you, but I can't. But there's lots of C's and Z's and it's a Czech name or Eastern European name. And um, so he wrote a book called Flow. Mm -hmm. And flow as um, a very important part of our mental health, uh, that we need to be able to do something that takes us completely out of ourselves mm -hmm. so that time passes and we don't even know what we've been doing. And uh, for me, I expect that's my jigsaw puzzles. But for you, I expect that's probably mostly everything you do. conversation with somebody the other day who, who who actually knew me in Australia when I was 15, and he was flying through town on a layover, and a 10-hour layover, 
I said, oh, I'll come pick you up. We'll go for a coffee. We actually went playing with Phoebe. Um, That'd be so good. Day. She's like, no, no, let's go out for dinner. No, we're going to go climbing. Yay. Project, Phoebe is actually uh, the daughter of a mutual friend yes. of ours. Yes. So, um, so we've been going climbing together, and I, I picked him up from the airport, and I was like, come climbing with us. And he's like, okay, sounds good. Uh, but we were chatting about this in the car, and he was saying, you know, it's the we were talking about the transformation from me in general in my life and my names or whatever. Um, but he was talking about the, the transformation of me as like a person and um, how much I've, I guess, changed in the last 10 years, which I would hope that we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying, what is it about, you know, you, you skydive, you climb, what, what is it about these things? Um, why did you decide to get into them? Um, and... And I told him about the clarity that I get, right? So when I, when I put myself in a very challenging position, and this, the first time this happened was when I got that, that phone call or that I saw that video um, and put myself in a challenging position of, of taking on something I, I had no idea what I was taking on, something like going to Pakistan on my own with... With skydiving, even though I've just really gotten into it, um, just got my license, it's you're putting yourself in a position where you have no idea what's going to happen, and you are responsible for yourself. And in those incredibly challenging moments, you realize what you're capable of, and through that capability, you're able to apply that to other parts of your life. So. When I'm in a challenging situation on a mountain and I don't want to stick my crampon in the snow and I don't want to try to breathe and I don't, I just want to lie over and fall asleep or <laughs> when I'm about to jump out of an airplane and I'm thinking, oh gosh, what if my parachute doesn't open? Um, I really, I figure out what I'm capable of emotionally and mentally and I can take that and I can apply it to my business, and I can apply it to things like the foundation. I can apply it to my writing. And understanding who I am as a person and what my abilities are uh, really helps in other aspects of my life. Um, and that's why it's fun to kind of throw myself in these, these challenging challenging situations. I think I went over my head with this next one. I'm, I'm biking around New Zealand for 35 days. I've got a trailer um, my tent and everything. But for 35 days, I'm biking around New Zealand, and I was telling a friend about it the other day. She's like, wait, you don't bike? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't bike. So I had to start training for it, and I didn't really realize what I've gotten into. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this one goes. I look forward to hearing about that. I want to, um, I want to go back to you talking about that it's, it's a combination of physical and mental stress that give you the clarity, okay? So you're in a physical position, but it's actually the mental stress, that, that you stress, positive stress, because there's a way through that gives you the clarity. So that notion is so important. I love the way you put it. I don't want to put my crampon in the snow. I don't want to breathe. I just want to lie down because so many of us think that 
pushing through to the finish line or hand over hand to the top, pushing through physically is what gives you that mental strength. But it's actually when all you want to do is not stop. All you actually want to do is just make it all go away. You know what, what I'm, the differences that I'm talking about? Right. I, I, I think this is a critical thing. Um, I coach people as well. And for so many people who've been through a coaching process previously, it's all about putting themselves into creating lists and setting goals. And it's actually harder to let go of things that we've done for a long time than it is to start doing completely new things. To start doing completely new things is exciting and fun and different and challenging. But to actually let go of behaviours that no longer serve us or to to fill our time in a different way, that's actually harder to do. So I've been in that position. I'm not a climber because I hate coming down. I, I would just, I've been, I'm on my bottom on stairs. I've slid down mountains on my ass. Not big mountains. I'm not talking your level of mountain. But this is my, I can't, I get, Dizzy just thinking about going down. A psychologist would have a dream time with that, I know. But it is... I know, I know. But there's that moment, and I'm trying to find the way. You've you've said it so well, but I want to make sure that, that people who are listening, if they were thinking about this, really understand it. It is that moment, not where you're challenging yourself to go on. It's not... You're not saying, come on, put your foot in the, put your crampon in the snow. Come on, breathe. You're not doing that. You're doing exactly what you said, which is, I don't want to put my crampon in the snow and I don't want to breathe. So it's that mastery. That's the clarity. Very much so. Yes. So it's um, the, the challenge in, inside of that challenge of... Uh, the mental, the mental challenge that comes with it. Um, that's where I'm able to find the greatest clarity, I think. And that that comes with whatever whatever I'm doing, whatever activity it is. And that that can come with my relationships in life as well. Mm. My greatest challenges I'm able to see clearly now in a way that I I hadn't before. Mm. And that is because of one thing. It's not because of it's not because of the the activity. It's not because of the skydive. It's not because of the climb. Mm. It's because of one thing. It's because I am learning every day more and more who I am and what the way that I think and what my capabilities are. And so, so I think that the only thing that we can ever really continually learn in our life is about ourselves right because we're always changing we're always developing and the more we're learning about ourselves the more we're able to help with our interactions with, with nature with people with animals with, with life with activities mm. I've seen I've seen a disturbing trend amongst some of my friends children where as soon as they have a life experience, they immediately want to go public with it, share it with everybody, but not just 
to tell a friend about it, but to blog about it, to write a book about it too. And I'm not talking about you in this instance, but I want some insight from you. I did have a fear of that. Okay. I did. I had a very big fear of that after I got back from Pakistan and I had this journal. And just to, just so people know, because a lot of people ask me this, uh, I had a publishing company long before this. Yeah, you were 19, so you'd had it for five years, yeah, right? I I'd had the publishing company for quite a while. Um, so, you know, it's not like I was like, oh, I'm going to come back and suddenly I can publish a book. I already mm. knew how to do it. I had a girl mm. in my office, one of the publishers in my office, do the book mm. for me. Uh, but I did, I did. And what I did was when I got back, um, I had, I gave it to one of the publishers in my office and said, can you just take a look at this? It was my journal that I had kind of developed into a book. And she was one, and she came to me and she said, we have to publish this. And I, I, I said there, I sat there and I said, I don't know, give me, give me like a few days to think about it. Um, and it was that, what you're, exactly what you're talking about came to my mind. Mm. This is a very emotional, personal story to me. This is something that defined who I am for the last two years and the death of my father and brother. This is something that is changing who I am every single day in this journey that I took. This is a part of my heart and my soul, and I'm going to be sharing it with the world. And there are people who are not going to appreciate it. There are people who are going to you know, judge certain things I say. I th think the difference is, though, you know, you, you wrote this based on something that happened to you and around you and your experiences within that. Mm -hmm. What I'm more talking about is people who are having experiences and then drawing conclusions to teach other people. Like what? Give me an example. Um, this is how I... This is how I motivate myself, and I'm 22. Um, oh gosh, it's really it's the, the end. The end result for me is that I say to them when they say I really want to, I'm going to write a book about this. I say, read five more books first, mm. because the stuff that you know when you're 20 will be surpassed by what you know when you're 30, will be surpassed what you know, because that, that's what you were talking about. That's what reminded me of this. Because you've, you've clicked onto that thing, that that lifelong learning is what it is, what it is yes. right? And I just think there's always that, you know, we do go through life and we have an experience and we think, oh, now I get it. So I should share that with other people so that they understand what that is. Mm. Right? But it's not necessarily the best thing because... It can be, though. So, so for me, personally, because I'm a publisher and I read people's stories every day, a story is written in a time period of your life. And it's encapsulating that time period of your life. Right? Mm. So I even... I'm about to do another book tour of New Zealand. But when I pick up my book, I, when I read it, I say, oh... I've changed a lot since then. Mm. And that was only, what, three years ago, you know? Yeah, but it's your story. There's a difference between the nature of story and using a story as an obvious educational tool as opposed to an experiential tool while you're going through it all. Mm. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. It's just, I don't know, it's... But it comes with the day and age of what, you know... Well, this, there's a pressure on young people, there's a pressure on everybody... Right? Everybody's got to be a bloody expert. Everybody's got to be, you know, oh, my God, you should do that. Life, 
Right? I know. It's like, I'm nobody. Help me. And then, you know what the <sighs> solution to that is? Yeah. Rather than trying to be pretty and perfect and giving everyone advice, you shit in a bag and you post it on Facebook. Boom. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of our interview. <laughs> um, so your book is called Journey of Heart. Journey of Heart is so drunk. Can you talk about something else that might be happening that's Hollywood related? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I wrote a movie and we are currently in, I guess, what's it called? Pre-production. Pre-production. Pre-production yeah. Exciting. It's very exciting. I'm very excited. So um, so our mutual friend is, I'm currently, I'm heading off to visit her. I'm really excited. She's a producer and she's been um, a huge influence in my life. Just speaking of mentors. Yeah. Same thing goes with Hollywood that goes with, you know, climbing your business or any aspect of life. There's there's people around you who can always teach you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I wish you all the best, and um, I'll keep in touch on Facebook and when you occasionally <laughs> drop into LA. Definitely. No, I'm very excited. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you, Sequoia. It's been fabulous. You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell. And together, we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.